Two men enter a bad movie podcast. One man leaves. Hey, you're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares. We suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and if I gave you a name, then that means you would be mine, right? With me, as always, <laughs> is film critic Daniel Barnes. Do I just not get where the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome They kept saying two men movies. enter building, one man leaves. Oh, that's right. Oh, you're right. I stopped writing things down. Fucking A. I just got so bored. Yeah. Hi, everyone. As Corky said on this show, we do your dirty work by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine or your wormhole projections can't imagine. We then review and rate these movies on our unique system. Run-of-the-mill bad film gets a dare. Double dare to the truly atrocious movies, and we reserve a reverse dare for a despised movie that is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're reviewing Backdraft 2, the hotly anticipated sequel to a 30-year-old movie that no one cares about or remembers. We're also going to read some movie dares sent in by our listeners, but before we get started, Dan's going to tell us about the beer he's drinking during the show. Well, I have another Urban Roots beer from our good friends Urban Roots Brewery and Smokehouse here in Sacramento, California. I am drinking a Comfort Hamster American Rustic Pilsner. Uh, sorry, Unfiltered Rustic Pilsner. It's 5% here, you know, give or take. I'll call my volume. I don't have the exact figures on me. It's not important. I have a few. It's low alcohol. It's light it's delicious, it's unfiltered, it's rustic, it's got everything you can possibly want. Fantastic beer, Comfort Hamster from Urban Roots. Quirky, you drinking anything today? I am, sir. I am drinking a Planetary Fog by Revision. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Excellent. I think we've re- we visited this beer on the podcast before, but I love it so much I had to get more. Now let's read a couple of dares from our beloved listeners. Beloved, you heard it. We love you, you darlings. You're sending us these dares, you're sending them to us through uh, the website, you're sending them to us through the Schmied, that is our, our shortening of social media, that just saves a ton of time. This week's first dare comes to us from Jason. That's all I got, it's just Jason. The, just Jason. The killer? It could be the killer, uh, it could be any number of Jasons that any of us know. I mean, it could be your your Jason, your Jason, you at home. He's right. He's in the room. Jason, what do you got for us, Jason? Pink Flamingos is what Jason has. This is the film written and directed by John Waters and starring Divine, 1972 underground classic. Why did he want us to watch this movie, Jason, the Jason? He said, uh, this movie wrecked 19-year-old Jason. Poor 19-year-old Jason. Like, for two weeks, I was in a daze. It altered my 19-year-old mind. <laughs> and now, today, he is still a 19-year-old. He just stopped aging. Perpetually. It was like a tin drum situation. <laughs> he just got so fucked up by that that he just was like, boom, done, done. <laughs> IMDb synopsis. Of Pink Flamingos, notorious Baltimore criminal and underground figure Divine goes up against a sleazy married couple who make a passionate attempt to humiliate her and seize her tabloid-given title as the filthiest person alive. Quirky, ever seen this movie? I have not. I have have no desire to. I'm scared of this movie. No desire? No. I'm not really a big Divine fan, and I... Is this the one where she eats dog shit? I think it is the one, yeah. Yeah, that... Not... Not... Not on my list. Not on my list of things I want to check out. Corky McDonald, ladies and gentlemen. Pink Flamingos, it's great. You should check it out. Well, what's good about it? Is it because it's like just trash film? 
yeah, it just is uh, constantly pushing the envelope of of taste, uh, which is a John Waters specialty. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if you're interested, you should check it out, Pink Flamingos. But uh, it sounds like we're not reviewing it on the show. Corky doesn't want to watch. <laughs> Uh, People eat dog shit. Yeah. Way to go. Call me crazy. Yeah, that's his hangout. <laughs> Our next dare come to us from Tim Crump. His movie dare is Death of a Nation. This is a 2018 pseudo-documentary written and co-directed by Dinesh D'Souza, based on his deranged ramblings. The IMDb synopsis for Death of a Nation is this docudrama draws parallels between the dramatic fracturing of the nation over Abraham Lincoln's presidency and the presidency of Donald Trump. Why did Tim Crump want us to watch death of a nation this documentary movie received a one percent on metacritic it's made by the controversial conservative dinesh d'souza and actually compares trump to abraham lincoln your mission if you choose to accept it is to watch this movie daniel big dinesh d'souza apologist that you are huge and yet i've never seen it right well you have posters of death of a nation behind you I do, yes. I mean, I, I obviously agree with the sentiment. Um, <laughs> I do like to imagine that while Tim Crump was writing his dare, that he was crumping. <laughs> I'm not sure how he was able to do that. Type and crump at the same time. That is not Very easy. legible. Crump, hats off to you, sir. What if hats somebody just had Dis- Dinesh D'Souza posters up and they were like, no, these are just for aesthetics. I, <laughs> I don't listen to the man. I don't believe the man. I just like the way they look. Yeah, right. Isn't he the guy who wrote all the marches? Stood Susan? <laughs> oh, it's John Philip Sousa. Okay, sorry. Different guy. Uh, one of them hates America. Yes, yeah, so thank you very much. Who dared us that? Tim Crump. Tim Crump. Keep crumping in the free world, baby, as long as you can. Pink Flamingos has divine eating dog shit. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza is human dog shit. <laughs> and now, our feature presentation. Backdraft 2. Backdraft 2 came to us dared by the ghost of Bull McCaffrey. Guys, they made a sequel to a terrible Ron Howard movie. As soon as I wrote that, I realized it's too broad of a category. The movie in question is Backdraft 2, Backdraftier. In the sequel, my adult son is now an arson investigator with the Chicago Fire Department. Much like his old man, he's a lone wolf with fire running in his veins. Billy Baldwin reprises his role as my brother again, only this time he's Uncle Assistant Deputy Fire Commissioner Brian McCaffrey. The plot concerns some kids that die in a fire on Halloween. I don't know why I laughed at that. Turns out this fire may have been set by some terrorists as a diversion to steal missiles. Wait, that can't be right. Hold on. Yeah, it is. Good luck with that. I always love when people struggle with themselves in our dares. Like, they, they're typing out their inner thought processes. He is a ghost. He's left his corporeal form. That is a good yeah. point. That would fuck anybody. <laughs> that is a good point. The IMDb synopsis for Backdraft 2. The sequel to the 1991 hit follows an investigator with the Chicago Fire Department who has to track down an arms dealer who uses deadly fires as a distraction. But yes, this week's movie is Backdraft Dose, the straight-to-streaming sequel to the forgettable 1991 Ron Howard film that starred Kurt Russell as Bull McCaffrey, his ghost. Dared us to watch the film. Thank you, his ghost. Uh, spoiler alert, he dies at the end. That's why he's a ghost. So, spoiler alert for a movie made in 1991. For all its faults, uh, the original Backdraft, and it had a lot of them, uh, it featured a pretty powerhouse supporting cast beyond Kurt Russell and, and Billy Baldwin, who were in the lead. She had a supporting cast was Jennifer Jason Lee, Robert De Niro, Scott Glenn, Rebecca De Mornay, Donald Sutherland, J.T. Walsh. Very, very strong. However, the only original cast members to return to Backdraft 
dose are William Baldwin, a.k.a. Uncle Billy, and Donald Sutherland. This film stars Joe Anderson, and he is as bland as his name sounds, as Sean McCaffrey, directed by Gonzalo Lopez Gallego. It was written by Gregory Wyden, released to streaming services on May 14, 2019, not released theatrically in the United States. 50% approval on Rotten Tomato? What the F? I would say, uh, reading those four critics' reviews, I think Barbara Schulgasser of Common Sense Media summed it up best uh, when she said, quote, unnecessary, nonsensical sequel has violence, comma, language. So, I mean... That just cuts right to the chase of what a movie is. Uh, Corky. <laughs> Barbara, Corky. really taking him to task. Yeah. How dare you have those things? Uh, Corky, this movie, it was unnecessary. It was nonsensical. It was a sequel, and it had violence and comma language. Um, but did you catch, did it light your fire? Did it fire your engines? Did it was it a four alarm fire, five alarm fire puns? How did I mean? How terrible was it? I fell in to a burning film of fire, Dan. <laughs> Let, Owen, how would Owen Gleiberman say it? <laughs> I have struggled with. Have we seen a movie that has been so amazingly failed by the writer? I mean, this movie fails on every level. I can't think of a level. See, I'm it okay with the directing. Really? I'm like really okay. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I am. The acting is... Holy fuck. Uh, but the writing is just oblivious and nonsensical. It, I mean, it's it, as it goes on, it just gets more and more like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, no, it, it it really doesn't make any sense. It's super sloppy. Characters just disappear for long stretches. Then they're back and they're very <laughs> crucial again all of a sudden. No, it's just sloppy all around, sloppy. And the acting, my God. The, I mean, you didn't yeah. even get into it. Eh? Eh? We're like, eh! Yeah. <laughs> it's awful it's awful and this i mean honestly this matched i didn't think that we could find some something that would match deadfall for pointlessness and incompetence and the watery blandness of the lead actor mm-hmm. who is in every goddamn scene every single scene in this movie is about this idiot sean mccann <laughs> this loser this bum this like fucking skid mark of a human being (laughs) seizing the upper hand and proving how awesome he is or it's somebody else talking about how awesome he is this and like yes if joe anderson were not such a callow charmless amoeba of an actor and if this script were not so terrible and the direction wasn't so terrible i don't think you would need to argue so much that your lead character is awesome you could just show him being awesome and i know yes. what i'm saying like this movie is just like stacks the deck and then just wants to like pat him on the head for being the most amazing person ever and it's just awful the, the plot is nonsense the pacing is terrible everything's bad uh, there are characters who are so unnecessary and their only function is to advance the plot yes and to very That's it. slowly Advance a plot that we never, ever care about. Like, the movie movie doesn't even really try to give us a reason to care about any of the characters or anything that's going on. Other than, I guess, we don't like seeing a bunch of children get killed, so I guess we want to find the killer there, right? But honestly, 
we don't really care about the characters. We never really actually get in to meet any of the children or their families or anything like that. There's one, they meet one person and they're just sort of used as, again, a story dump. Um, uh huh. It felt like they were counting on us just having affection because this is the son of Bull McGaffrey. Like, you, oh, exactly. we'll just we'll automatically care. These people are related to the backdraft universe. That's not a good reason to care. <laughs> That's not a good reason. You got to give me more than that. Uh, this movie was... They, they were so bad at this, they just gave him a jacket with bull written across <laughs> know, the back. Of right? Like, Remember? He's wearing his dad's jacket. See? Yeah. His dad. And, I mean, I've never seen a movie where there's a literal save the cat dog <laughs> moment. There's like a literal... There's two... There's a save the cat dog and a save the cat girlfriend. Right. And both of those are just because this guy's very unlikable. Yes. The whole reason for any of that is just to make this guy somewhat likable. The movie, the plot itself, we should say, unlike Backdraft, uh, the first film, as I'm recalling it, it had this sort of mystery, someone setting fires and they need to figure it out, right? Um, Spoiler alert, Scott Glenn Scott is not a good Glenn, guy. And he was the fireman and he did it all along. Uh, it does come up slightly, I guess, in this movie. Um, but really, this is Fireman Hunter. It's basically <laughs> Manhunter, but with a fireman as Will, Will Graham the Fireman. You know what I mean? Yep. Fire Chief Will yep. Graham. And Donald Sutherland is Hannibal Lecter. But it has all these things of yep. like, he catches the arsonist by thinking like an arsonist, and he can talk to the fire, and he has this, you know, it's, it's his job and his life are one and the same, and he's getting in the head of the arsonist, and then yeah. Donald Sutherland is sitting in his prison cell, toying with him. It's just, oh, this is so bad. <laughs> If you do a like a drinking game for count the cliches in this movie, <laughs> you will be fucked up. I started ticking off all the box. We're not so different, you and right. me. All the different oh, cliches right. I could spot. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Holy crap. This movie was a real chore to sit through. It was a real chore. I'm not going to lie about it. So first shot, gushing water lit with sirens, firemen. I've never seen a movie open as if you're driving through a car wash. <laughs> It's just spraying water all over the, the camera lens, and then we see we're at a fire. And there's a voiceover as uh, Sean McCaffrey arrives on the scene, and he says, We come at night. Black smoke. <laughs> it's so fucking boring. I was just like, oh, first lines. Uh-oh. Don't feel good Is about this. Is he reading this. his, like... His own, like, shitty poetry. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was like, is that what you're doing in that, like, lab where you live? The fire lab where you, is also your house? Whatever. I just love seeing they're all out of fire, fighting fires, and he's, like, sitting in a truck, scrolling in his notebook, <laughs> cutting himself. Black smoke. Arrive at night. <laughs> wow, this is badass, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is Sean McCaffrey. He's not a firefighter, like, Bull McCaffrey was, or like Uncle Uncle no. Billy Baldwin McCaffrey was. Um, he's an arson investigator, which is more like the Robert De Niro character in the 1991 film. Um, so he goes inside, and immediately he's just he's clues everywhere: dead body on the bed, yep. accident, or is it murder? I, what I love is he comes downstairs. First of all, like he he finds some physical evidence in the trash, grabs it with his bare hands. This is like physical evidence yeah, yep. from, from what what he believes is a crime scene and what will turn out to be a crime scene. This is my favorite part, though. In this movie, this, like, okay, I don't know how everything works in the world, all right? I especially don't know how chain of command works and, like, law enforcement and all that kind of stuff. Sean McCaffrey is an arson investigator. Anytime he shows up on a crime scene, he just waves away the cops, yes! waves away the ATF officials, just, and they're all just like, oh, shit, get out of the way. He's a firefighter. 
He's got a hose. <laughs> and he'll shoot you with his hose. Yeah, no, he's a firefighter who will shoot the fire with bullets because he carries a gun. He's, and yeah, I love this part that that there's a cop in, interrogating the guy he thinks is a suspect. And he's just and like, he just, take off. Take off. And the cop I, does. All I'm... Th- Yes, all I'm thinking is like, how is that going to play in court when this guy goes to trial? It's like, wait, you stopped interrogating him because a fireman <laughs> told you to stop? fireman came in? Why didn't you tell him to go stop the fire that's happening? He's, like a, <laughs> he's a fireman. Oh, yeah. Now, that just, I mean, we opened with gushing water, but this is, I mean, you want to talk gushing water. This is like the wettest fireman wet dream ever, that he shows yes. up and he's in charge of the crime scene. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah, I bet that happens a lot. Uh, anyway, but yes, he, he does trick this guy. He, he, uh, he gets him, he corners him, he captures him. It's the boyfriend. The boyfriend drugged the woman who was in the bed, set the fire himself. He's the arsonist. He traps him and this kid goes, Jesus, who are you? And he goes, I'm a fireman. Title. (laughs) And I'm rock hard. I'm so into this movie now. I was like, fuck, (laughs) really? That's your, oh man. Brutal. So now we uh, open on a uh, skyline shot of Chicago still rebuilding from the Transformer attacks of years past. Our uh, cliche count is already off the charts because we've got a lone wolf renegade cop who's who knows everything. He's got problems with his superiors who don't really want him around. And of course, the cops hate firefighters because firefighters. And are he's getting assigned a partner. Guess who doesn't want a partner? And it's a dame. Oh my god. Uh, but then the superior's like, hey, I know what you did in that church. So now we get the, like, ooh, what did he do in the church? Who cares? And then, of course, I mean, keep that cliche counter ticking because he meets his partner, and right away he starts grilling her about in how inexperienced she is. And, oh, man, I just... Yeah. I both uh, did not like and did not respect Sean McCaffrey. <laughs> I mean, you can't. It's one of those, like, I don't like the man, but God damn it, I respect him. I don't respect this guy. I don't respect him. Like, you walk right in and start treating people like shit. <laughs> like, why should I respect you, <laughs> you fucking asshole? So now we're following these trick-or-treaters. Yeah, but, uh, hey. And it's all very ominous. But we, Yeah, exactly. We have to have some slow-mo with some ominous music on this. It's ominous. We can tell it's building to something. Everything's in slow motion. The kids are way too happy and frolicky. It's like a scene cut out of Final Destination. <laughs> it really is. You're just waiting for it. <laughs> so they get to a door... And they get there, and there's smoke kind of creeping out under the door and then creeping back in. And then we know, backdraft about to happen. You know what that means. Or you're knocking on a pothead's door. That's the, that's the two things. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but they open up the door, and kablamo, the door just flies off the hinges, kills five. one of the kids, and then kills five. But one, the, like the fire kills one, or the door kills one, and the fire kills all the rest of them. Because like... It'll come back several dozen times that these people do not want to be responsible for their jobs. They do not want to investigate the deaths of five children. That's the thing is there's this whole thing about what they call Naga hide jockeys. Yes. Which just means politicians Ugh. and people wearing medals and things like that, brass and, and uniforms and such, that they don't want to call this arson. They don't want to. They, they, you know, why? Why don't they? That's <laughs> Don't you need arsons to have an arson department? You wouldn't even have an arson department. Occasionally, you need some arsons. You're right. You have to get funding. They can't just like, oh, that wasn't arson. No, we haven't had a single arson all year. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, they're catching arsonists right and left. <laughs> right. <laughs> the currency of Chicago civil service in this movie is to not do your fucking job. Absolutely. It's especially appalling given that there are several arsons a day in, in <laughs> Chicago, apparently. <laughs> oh, man. Because he is constantly running off to stop some arsonists on the act. But, uh, it ends and Baldwin. begins with an act of arson. This movie right? ends and begins. Uh, we should also say Sean... He does not care about your feelings. No. No. His business is stopping arsonists. The arsonists who don't exist. <laughs> All he cares about is stopping arsonists, whether they exist or not. It's not important. So here's more of the life equals work kind of equation with Sean, which is that his home, where he lives by himself, uh. is essentially a, f- a f- fire lab slash warehouse yeah it's like out in the middle of nowhere it's, it's a gigantic warehouse and he does like experiments with fire out there <laughs> like it's where he does it's like his fire testing lab and the living quarters is just lone wolf bachelor mcquade it's just a, a easy boy recliner in front of a tv with pictures of fire all over the place and of course as soon as he gets home flips on the tv and what is playing on the exact channel? I mean, first of all, this is not how TV works anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I turn on my TV, it goes to my Roku menu. It does not just turn on to the news. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But he flips it on, and there's the news. And not only is it the news, but it's a news report about the fire that he was just that investigating. He's, that he's working. And uh, it basically just rehashes the last five minutes of the plot. That's how lazy this movie fucking... Oh, it's just His like, TV is set. I can't he's like, trust you to like think, remember something that happened a few minutes ago. He's like, Alexa, play the last scene again. <laughs> fire research montage. Yes, sure. Makeover montage, but with fire. We don't even really know what the f is going on at this. No, point. you know what I mean. At it's no just point, like so wrong. If, like it's just. Uh, this the, movie is so it organized in a way that does not make any fucking sense. There's a lot of jacket wearing in this movie, so people wear the jackets that identify what division they work in. Yes. And Sean McCaffrey has problems with all of them, and you're just going to have to deal with it. He's going to get the better of you. He absolutely does. I did like that in this scene, the ATF guy very accurately says that Sean is, quote, jerking off to fire. <laughs> This guy is constantly jerking off to fire, let me tell you. I would love to see a a realistic response. No, no, okay, that was one time, but I wasn't looking at the fire. It was next to a Playboy. (laughs) But Sean's not here to make friends. (laughs) You can't. Not with McCaffrey. Sean is also not here to make family. (laughs) That's the whole thing about Uncle Billy tries to tries to come in and say hey kid i know how it is and he's like i'll go out of here uncle billy baldwin yeah okay then, so uh <laughs> billy baldwin at this age he looks like anthony lapalia doing alec baldwin <laughs> like there's no billy in there but you know what because this guy is such a lone wolf won't work with Friends, it won't work with workmates, won't work with family. This is a guy who needs a girl. He needs a girl. This He's guy. all alone. <laughs> oh, we should say here there was the dog, which oh, yeah. you kind of alluded to. If, uh, he he finds a dog just on his steps and just as the dog just hangs out. But Sean McCaffrey's not going to name that dog. If we eventually say he's not going to name it, yeah, because if he, he named it, then it would be his. <laughs> what? This is the kind of person we're dealing with, right? It's just like fucking A. 
Um, but yes, he's in a Chinese restaurant, of course, by himself because mm-hmm. he doesn't have any friends. Going and, over a case, going over files. Yes, exactly. Uh, and of course, his connection to the Chinese restaurant has to do with fire. <laughs> Someone was setting fire to the place, and he helped them out, so he comes here to eat. Like, he can't just like a restaurant. He can't like, just... No. No. <laughs> this was fire restaurant. <laughs> I talked to the fire. Fire said, meet me here at 1130. At the Kung Pao. <laughs> so, this yeah, next... so he meets this girl in this Chinese restaurant, and she just sparks up a conversation like, hey, what's the deal? Their conversation is basically like this. Oh, hey, what's your deal? Here's my deal. What's your deal? Here's my deal. Do you want to talk about deep stuff with our family? Okay, here's my thing. Well, here's my thing. Well, here's my thing number two. Here's my thing number two. Well, here's my thing number three. Well, here's my thing number three. This. Oh, my God, a fire. <laughs> and then he runs off. <laughs> but that scene, it, I, it goes on long. I mean, you want to talk about long scenes of dialogue? The scene in Hunger with Michael Fassbender and the priest was shorter than this. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? This goes on forever. It is so boring. I was I almost died here. Honestly. She she is uh, Jenny Geology because that's her name, Jenny, and she's a geologist. But she should just be called Third Draft because that's what she was. She the writer was going through, going, wait, how do we know I need who to this? humanize them slightly? Yes, exactly. <laughs> their lines of dialogue. I've never seen a movie where their lines of dialogue are exactly just character develop, like who they are. Uh, yeah, like here's three bullet points of things. I don't get along with my family because of this, 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 and this. I don't get along with my family because. <laughs> I did this as a child, and that's my dark secret. I did this. As, it was like, okay, now we know who these characters uh, They handled awesome, it with a yeah. fucking diner scene. No, yeah, that was like a speed dating kind of <laughs> deal. Um, and we find out that he burned down his stepfather's house when he was a kid. So his mom remarried after Bull, and he burned down the, his house. Because how dare he marry yeah. my mom? I mean, Find happiness? Kind of he's a fucking adult now, and he's still like, I was right to burn down his house as a child. Does that seem like a responsible adult kind of an attitude, sir? And he has no anyway. other dreams of his mom except for setting that fucking fire. <laughs> That's like, really? I don't think your problem's with the mom. I think the problem's with you, pal. But yes, just as they're getting to know each other, oh my God, there's an arson call. And so Sean has to run out because he knows exactly who the arsonist is. And Sean <laughs> catches him in the act. And I should also add, no one else catches him. <laughs> It's just Sean. No, no, no. If anyone else comes in there, they are going to F it up big time. Sean did it. No one else. And he catches the bad guy in the act and is actually not just like, you son of a bitch, you're trying to burn down a building. He is like, do you think the fire dances for you? Like he's offended that this guy would like try to outbest him in a fire competition or something. <laughs> like, what um, but yeah, Sean like beats this guy. If he walks off to oh, cool it down, cool it down, just go cool his head. Meanwhile, his partner actually questions the guy. This is what uh, this police work, solid police work. Although she's a fire investigator, never mind. Uh, questions about uh, he he lets out that there's some ties to the Halloween fire. Someone may have talked to him about it. He says it was twisted stuff. This is and bad. this leads them to visit. Ronald Bartell in prison. This is Donald Sutherland from the first film. He's in a wheelchair now. And this is just basically your Hannibal Lecter style. You know, he's in prison and yet he's taunting him. He knows things. How does he know these things? More like cliches. He's like this guru kind of a thing. Yeah. It's the criminal mastermind who knows. How does the funny thing is he gives this bullshit reason for why he knows all this inside information. Like they give him access to certain files, is what he was saying. <laughs> right. it's like, what? 
Why would you do that? There's a quid pro quo. Like, I'll give you yeah. information if you give me the information I want. He almost says, are the lambs still screaming, Clarice? <laughs> he does taunt him about his family as he's yes. like, leaving. Which is and wants to know thing, about yeah. something called Haddon Street fire. There's something about the Haddon Street. Well, yeah, they talk about the incident in the church a little bit, which was referenced earlier by the commander who was uh, reprimanding him, which Ronald Bartell calls, quote, the greatest arson duel in history. (laughs) What are the other great arson duels? Name two other great arson duels, Ronald Bartell. You you can't, because that's not a thing. (laughs) No one has arson duels. I mean, there's literally a phrase, you can't fight fire with fire, and these guys are fucking talking. About arson we, duels. Yeah, well, we're doing it, aren't we? Uh, so we find a little more information about uh, the house. The f- The house was owned by the Hunter family. This is all garbage. It really, I mean, because like... It's gobbledygook. It's just how the movie is arranged. It's just like, let's do a solid 20 to 30 minute chunk of something else. And then, you know, we'll get back to that whole Halloween fire thing. Oh, yeah. wait. Wouldn't that be like the first thing you would investigate is like, whose house is this and where the F are they? Yeah. No one seems concerned about that for several days. Right. And exactly. And like, I guess we should. Uh, is this where it turns this, into a Tom? something to do with the house. It turns into a Tom Clancy novel here, right? This Is this? Yeah, the- just about. We find out that the Hunters, their company makes missiles. <laughs> yes, that got, that got to be so. Missile companies. <laughs> he kept saying missile. This fucking guy kept saying missile. Missile company. <laughs> So they go down to the missile company, and it turns out the missile company also had a suspicious fire very similar to the townhouse. Exact same. I mean, what a terrible arsonist who just sets the exact same type of fire over and over again. I mean, obviously, you're going to. I mean, did you not? Did you want people to connect those dots? It's like an assassin's. The number one assassin always does it, has a signature move. You're going to get caught. <laughs> Apparently, this Hunter Systems building is located on the third floor of the United Center where the Bulls play because that's where they filmed because they have the same extras walking back and forth in front of this empty, empty lobby. Yeah. Um, they now, on the streets of Toronto, uh, Chicago, uh, meet a, uh, <laughs> this was the most Toronto scene <laughs> that I've ever seen, the scene with the government spook in front of all these buildings that none of them have signs and they're all beige colored. And then this guy keeps saying missile, missile. He, he can't say missile, but he handles hydroxylpolybutanate flawlessly. <laughs> that actor worked on that over and over and over, but didn't get missile right. And the scene ends with and, the government spook being like, hey, you know, we're, we're investigating this terrorist plot. Like, we're really close. Like, can you help us out yeah. with this investigation? And of course, because they're awesome firefighters, they're like, no. we won't help you with it like we're gonna go rogue and solve it ourselves like what the fuck McCaffrey's not here to make friends make family or make the country any better (laughs) he's not here to save lives oh wait he is but he's (laughs) out at it oh yeah it's just what and it really is supposed to be like no they're too badass to work with the government man yeah it's just really lame like, even if you were a firefighter, you must be like, oh, boy, we're not that awesome. Come on. No, exactly. And, and and the way he looks, too, he's like 90 pounds soaking wet. That jacket weighs more than he does, right? <laughs> he's the only one who's got a beard and a scruffy look. Like, even people who work in offices in fire, I know some people, they put their hair, the women put their hair up. They, everybody dresses like they're going out to the field. This guy is walking around. <laughs> there's visible stink lines on him. <laughs> 
He's wearing a jacket from before those jackets got made. <laughs> That's, he has cancer wearing that jacket all the time. <laughs> but yes, firefighters refuse to help. They're going to relaunch their own investigation. So they go back to the townhouse. We've had like four of these scenes where... Sean McCaffrey's doing the Robert De Niro bit from the first one where he's talking to the fire, watching it, how it moved. He takes no pictures right. at any scene. Yeah. Like, if he didn't get it at that moment, it's done. There's no evidence. evidence at this trial, Sean. Okay? Like, we can't keep bringing people up on arsonist charges with zero evidence. Uh, and, yeah, could you also stop handling all the evidence with your bare hands? We have gloves. Simple thing. It's not expensive. No, I'm not wearing. I just think gloves. of how many crimes are solved. How many crimes are solved by detectives sitting in their office looking through photos and then noticing something they didn't notice before? <laughs> not Sean McCaffrey. If he didn't get it the first time, it's not getting got. Nope. Done. Uh, but against all odds, he's getting too close. Too close. Yes. So he's at. He's at like the what is going to be the scene of the next fire. Uh, but the arsonist is still there on the scenes. Oh my god. And he attacks. Uh, he attacks Sean. The fire starts. Uh, as it turns out, Sean and the partner are able to escape into like a closet. The arsonist is just stuck out there, engulfed in flames. And it's something where if he moves, the fire is going to. Uh, I don't know. If he moves, he's going to yeah, get burnt. Sha- and if not, everything's going to be fine. Or Sean McCaffrey's just fire explaining why he knows everything that the fire is going to do. What the fire and what how- the guy in the fire is thinking and what he's going to yes, do exactly. and when he's going to do it and all these different things. So anyway, arsonist gets burnt to a crisp. Uh, the partner gets out. Sean is like sort of hypnotized by, by the fire a little bit. He has a little, uh, he's waiting for the dragon. So he gets caught inside. He ends up jumping out the window, hold, uh, grabs onto a pipe, but then looks up and there's a girl in the, I mean, the yes. space will just like, this don't make any sense. But he just looks up and there's a girl there. And he's like, okay, well, I got to save her. He climbs up the exterior <laughs> of a burning building. None of the metal is burning him. That's what I think. He's just. He saves her by grabbing onto a metal pipe that is hot enough to melt. <laughs> the pipe melts. But it does not burn his hand while he is grabbing onto it. <laughs> the thing is liquid metal, fucking A. But he's fine. But he's able to get her, the girl, off of the off of the ladder. He's still on the ladder, and then a, a huge fireball, kaboosh, blows him like a block away. Uncle Billy Baldwin arrives on the scene and finds Sean trapped under wreckage in a dumpster. Very cavalierly walks over like Smirking. this man could be possibly seriously injured and he just walks over to start giving him shit it's just like we need to have a chat <laughs> and so they just Why chat about family uh, uncle billy it fills him in on the plot of backdraft it's just like right. you know, scott glenn did it and you re- you realize that all this family drama with sean cutting out his mother cutting out his whole family is just because the uncle didn't tell him the most obvious thing it put his father in a positive light there's like no reason not to tell him this story right it does, <sighs> that was the pivotal thing that made all that family drama, that made Sean McCafferty the, the lone wolf that he is. Yeah. Now, again, we should also, just to reiterate, Sean McCaffrey in this scene has just been blown several hundred feet off of <laughs> yeah. a, a several-story high ladder into a dumpster, and wreckage from the building has fallen on him, and he is trapped and cannot move. And Uncle Billy is like, uh, you're fine, unless you've got internal <laughs> bleeding. 
or that wall is going to fall down. And it's like, both of those things are extremely likely. <laughs> like, why are you taking a chance on this just to prove your point? He just walks over to fuck with them. And that's all he does. He's like, put his finger right next to his face. Like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. <laughs> but the scene ends. Uncle uh, Sean is duly put in his place, I guess. And the scene ends with him just picking up a phone and going, Mom. And then cut. That's it. He reconnected with his mom. <laughs> what the fuck? That's <laughs> <laughs> how lazy this movie is. So lazy. It is lazy. At that moment, we start the ticking clock on Billy Baldwin's character. Oh, yeah. Because once they have that come together. He's fulfilled his purpose in the plot. And now we're going to need yep. somebody to die. <laughs> he's, go- he's Goose from Top Gun. Oh, absolutely. From that moment on. Absolutely. Um, but they find out that despite everything that has happened and Sean almost getting killed and really being right about uh, everything so far, uh, they're going to give the case to the ATF guy because it's an institution. He's off the case. It's an institutional cover up. Why? Why? They don't ever, they, like, there is no reason for them to be like, we do not want to solve this case of the murdered children. No. Nobody wants to do their fucking job <laughs> in Chicago. And they want McCaffrey off the case. That's another cliche rung up, folks. And this is, they. whoever wrote this got a few fire department words, and they just clung to them. Mm-hmm. Don't throw me off my burn. That's my burn. So, Corky, do you remember the woman from the Chinese restaurant? Barely. She has not been on screen. I went back and checked this. She has not been on screen for 45 minutes. <laughs> They're just boyfriend-girlfriend they now. <laughs> they yeah, it, nothing else. He didn't even get her number before storming out. That, of that scene restaurant. ended with just them in the restaurant. There it was ended like, with him I was running off to go and stop the damn fire. Uh, see, I thought it ended with him showing her some grisly photographs of a burn victim. <laughs> no, that I thought the next scene was going to be like, them slamming up against a vertical a door, making out vertically, and no, it just she's gone for forty five minutes. But then she's back, and it's just like they're just talking about the case, like they've been together this entire time, like they've built this whole relationship, and she's the one who actually breaks it because she's like, maybe you should yes. start investigating cell tower lockings, and like that's I, boom, and then they go to sleep <laughs> because they're yeah. just boyfriend and girlfriend now. Like what? The, what? <laughs> Because the writer was like, how the fuck do I solve this mystery I've painted myself? Oh, bring that person yeah, back. Yeah, bring her back yeah. and then have her She's got the answer. Yeah, so she'll give him the idea. It reminded me of Gotti when jo- John A. Gotti Jr. meets that girl. Yeah. And all you see is them go, hi, hi, how you doing? And then like 30 married. minutes later, they're getting married. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had to have the meeting, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't care about this. Right? There's no emotional investment. Oh, and the other thing is both of the, the both of those characters, like the save the cat girl and the save the cat dog, <laughs> are the reasons that Sean figures things out. Yeah. Her with this with the cell phones, and then later on with the bomb under the bed, the dog. I, Sean is like Doolittle with that dog. Oh right, yeah. So um, basically, Sean's getting too close. He's still getting too close. He was getting too close before and decided not to what to put it into who right. I don't know some kind of big plot. That's for sure. Um, but they're targeting him now. So they basically do a lethal weapon two on him uh, where they put a bomb under his bed and it's pressure sensitive. So if he gets up, sure. it's going to go off. But if not, it's not going to go off. So he realizes this, wakes up, uh, the girl gets her off the bed. Uh, but then who arrives on the scene? Why, it's Uncle Billy Baldwin. Uh, he comes to the rescue. He's not going to lose another McCaffrey. Want to bet? Uncle Billy, I bet we lose at least one McCaffrey because he goes to defuse the bomb. 
and just gets utterly incinerated by a fireball. The bomb goes off. Yep. Sean is fine for some reason. He was protected by a mattress. He's got some cuts. He's got the some cuts on his face. The fireball just raises the mattress up. <laughs> it does not burn the mattress. He just raises him up and he's like, oh my god, I'm going to fly away. Even fire is scared of Sean McCaffrey. Yeah, right? Right. The fire will run from Sean McCaffrey. But if your whole plot was to blow up the... I mean, they just should have let right. the damn fucking bomb go off. Get out of here, Uncle Billy, if the bed was going to be fine. We really need to break down this fucking scene because people break into this guy's house. He's getting too close to somebody for some reason. They don't just shoot these people in the head, which they're fine with shooting later. They don't just shoot these people in the head. They put a bomb under the bread that is tripwired somehow to go off. The dog doesn't care. Let's him in, whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> Way to go. Nobody on. rolls over in their sleep to, tri- <laughs> yeah, to trip it. It all gets set while he's asleep. He wakes up and the dog goes, hmm? and he's like, what? There's a bomb under the bed, boy? And you just let them <laughs> install it? That must have taken a while. <laughs> <laughs> then, not only did they do that, he knows that anybody who puts a bomb under the bed that's rigged to explode is going to have a fail safe, a booby right. trap somewhere else down the line. Uh, an experienced fire captain coming in does not call the f- gas department to turn off gas. To the- He's like, no, I need to go and break down the ceiling that is somehow patched together after they've already tampered with the broken line in there. Oh. I need to break down the ceiling that they resealed and everything. Yeah, that would have taken hours. That's a lot of construction work that they were doing while these people what were sleeping. What the fuck is that yeah, scene? Just, just stab him with a knife or shoot him with a gun. He's asleep. And apparently a heavy sleeper. Yes. I think you're good. And they also rigged it with a bomb that was like the same bomb that they've used in a whole bunch of other crimes. Okay, so right. Uncle Billy's dead. So we get a fireman's funeral. Your usual nonsense. There's one at the end of Backdraft 2. Backdraft callbacks. <laughs> Quite a bit Who of difference in it. a major theatrical release funeral and a director's <laughs> video. Which has fu- a lot funeral. more close ups. But now it's personal. Now it's personal? Okay. Uh, other firemen to Sean. You were right. Yes. We're supposed to be like, that's all that matters. Hey, look, I know your your uncle's dead. And like I mean, break this down. This guy is a known asshole, a known he's got a problem with fire. He set his stepdad's house on fire. Why aren't they suspicious he fucking did I know, his right? Up? He should be a second suspect number one. Nobody wants to do their goddamn job. No. Uh, so another visit to Donald Sutherland. Let's go back to Donald Sutherland. So we can do yet another variation on the quid pro quo scene from Silence of the Lambs. Donald Sutherland gives him a clue about propane that leads him to somewhere for some reason. Don't know. Don't care at this point. I don't care. Could, just you end the movie. Possibly, he just you couldn't possibly know or oh, care. Oh, propane? Oh, I know where there's a lot of propane. Home Depot? <laughs> A barbecue place? <laughs> there's a lot of places where there's propane. You fucking... I wrote down, I wrote, there's 14 minutes left. I guess something's gonna happen. <laughs> Something has to happen, right? Uh. This part right here, I think, it's missing a screw is the dialogue. It's just literally, it's so bad. He walks up to a thing and says, it's missing a screw. Boom, there's where the bomb is. <laughs> It reminded of me of when they found the key in Biodome, when they were just walking. Just oh, like, hey, oh, there's there it the is. key. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Sean finds a shipping container that has the missile prototype. We don't exactly, I mean, the way this is organized is so stupid. We don't actually see it. He just opens the van and sees something. 
And we're yeah. supposed to not realize that he saw that. But um, the he terrorists found the missile guffin. Yeah, he might have found the the MacGuffin missile. Um, but the terrorists come on the scene, and Sean and no one else, no one else catches them. In fact, Maggie tries to come in, and she bones everything. She gets shot. He gets shot. <laughs> Way to go, Maggie person trying down. to help Sean McCaffrey. Great guy. <laughs> uh, so now it's up to Sean to save the day. Hooray. While the Russian accent terrorist says, Do you really think you can stop us? <laughs> Natasha. Um, and he's ready to kill him. He's got him dead to rights. He's on the ground. Gun wound. Russian terrorist standing over him, ready to just kill him and then take off with a missile. But then decides, basically for no reason, you know what, no, stand up, I'm going to take you hostage, walk over to this van with me, I'll open the van. He knew He knew the bullet he fired would be afraid of Sean McCaffrey. Oh, right, it just would have it run would so itself. far away and right back towards him. But yeah, so he takes him, uh, Sean basically fools this guy into opening the same van door that Sean had opened, but it turns out Sean rigged the missile to explode in the guy's face. He instantly becomes just a skeleton of ash. Uh, the van explodes, Sean gets away, and as he's lying on the ground with his partner looking at CGI fire and CGI smoke, says, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Final scene, right? Eh, one more scene. One more scene. Back to the fire lab. He's going to leave the fire lab and go live in a normal house with his normal girlfriend and his yep. dog, and they're going to go off and just be normal now. So the end, yawn. Ugh. That's fucking wow. it. It was torture. It was absolute torture to get through. This is just the most pointless movie. I, it, it's so pointless. It is. So it pointless. Is. It's so empty. And anyone who would... Because two out of the four critics who saw this were like, yeah, okay, sure. I'm sure they knew, realized it was empty, but there's just the whole thing of like, well, that was a movie. That was a movie, and that was fine. It had scenes, and it had actors, and it had a, a beginning and a middle, and it end. I mean, it was fine. It didn't offend me or anything like that. It's like, what the fuck? This is nothing. Absolutely uh-huh. nothing. This is eating paper. That's the kind of fucking <laughs> nutritional value and the kind of fullness that you get from this. It's nothing. It's pointless. It's awful. It shouldn't exist. Yeah. I mean, it does exist. It's called Backdraft. Two quirky final thoughts on Backdraft 2. Final thoughts. Uh, this movie should have been called Fire Cops because that's kind of what they are. And it got me thinking that I would like to see a reverse. Like there's a special department in the police department where they have to uh, try to make cases against fires. <laughs> and they're, just, they're trying to arrest and put cuffs on fires. Like <laughs> you're, you're burning in an illegal parking area. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. As long as... Joe Anderson is not involved, and Sean McCaffrey is not involved, and the entire McCaffrey clan could just go to hell. As long as they're not involved with this, then you know what I'm in. I'm in for fire cops or cop fires. Um, Quirky. Yeah. Let's rate this sucker. Just to remind everybody, run-of-the-mill bad film is a dare, next-level bad, double dare, and a movie we actually like. Reverse dare, Quirky. Where do you sit on Backdraft Dose? Uh, I again, I will restate. I've never, I, I can't recall a movie more failed by writing. I mean, we've seen movies that are failed by direction, writing, and acting, concept, all that stuff. But this one, I thought the acting was bad. I thought the direction was fine to 
positive to actually good directing. But the writing, the story, and the dialogue are so atrocious, it drug it so far down. I'm giving it a dare because of because I thought I liked this director and I'd like to see more of what he has. Agree to disagree on that one. My sensibilities, my eyes, my ears, my thoughts, my inner soul were utterly offended by Backdraft 2, a very terrible movie that shouldn't exist. And you know what? Just because this movie loves fire so much, I think we ought to burn it. <laughs> Owen Gleiberman says what? <laughs> Owen Gleiberman says burn this movie in a bonfire. It brought the house down <laughs> via a four-alarm fire. <laughs> Uh, so I, I w- I'm a dare. Are you? I'm assuming you're a double, double dare? dare, triple dare, five alarm dare. It's garbage. Is this one of the worst ones we've done? Absolutely. To you, I hated this movie. Yeah, despised it. Despised it with every fiber of my being. All right, so that's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel. But we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com and be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky, what are you working on? What are you doing? Where are you out there? Where can you where can people find you and absorb the laughter that emanates from you? You can catch me at Sacramento Comedy Spot. All that stuff is online. We'll probably be keeping some stuff as streaming shows. Uh, and I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been following, listening, giving us dares, and helping support, putting into the PayPal, keeping our lights on while we're doing this. We hope to be giving you guys some good entertainment. Without you, we couldn't do it. Absolutely true. For Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, two men enter, two men leave. <laughs> two men leave. Normal fight, yeah. then. Yeah, really. Just, not Thunderdome no rules. Not Thunderdome rules? <laughs> <laughs> just a normal fight. <laughs> Bye, everyone.